So uh, let's get into today's message. I uh, thought it was interesting what Daniel Williams shared on at 930 because that's very uh, overlapping uh, with what I want to talk about today. Um, you know, I'm talking about take another uh, biblical look at fasting. As you know, we're doing a series that will uh, take seven or so years uh, uh, called Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity. And we're looking so far at 15 emphasis, but I think we're going to actually change it to 17 emphasis. Um, it's, it's growing on me. This always happens to me. But uh, um, we've been on emphasis five, which is about restoring the whole Bible as the word of God. And that particular emphasis, we have around 50 teachings because we're living in a time where almost no one reads books anymore. And uh, they say that the average American reads two books a year. And um, that's factoring in all the people who read romance novels and other trivial types of books. Um, so you, it, what the real case is, is that in terms of actually uh, good, good fictional literature, like classic novels and or nonfiction for educational purposes or whatever, most Americans actually read less than one book a year anymore. And the, the hardest fight we have when, uh, when people come here, a lot of people have been pre-evangelized in the sense that maybe they know a little bit about the gospel, maybe they've been into an evangelical church. Um, but um, very seldom does someone have really good habits about studying the whole of Scripture. And so um, one of our I, uh, hopes and goals here in, in, date, in Grace uh, Christian Fellowship is that by the grace of God, frankly, I, you know, if there's anything that I've done well at in my life, uh, very few things am I an expert at, but I'm really good at the school of failure. Uh, I have really made some b terrible sins and bad mistakes and, and all those kind of things. And the key is, did, are, is, are you letting God teach you from them? You know, and it's, uh, I don't care, like, people are always saying, well, gee, I don't want this guy to do something because he used to be a car thief or, you know, he was divorced five times or he, or he was a drug addict. I don't really care what you were. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What matters is what you've allowed God to recreate you to be now. And uh, so, uh, you know, our, our slogan, besides acceptance as you are, uh, this really came... Uh, out of a development for me that started around 1991 where I got involved with some, uh, one, one case or two cases, pretty famous guys who uh, were very about uh, churches that um, come as you are and you'll be loved. And that's a thing that a lot of Christians haven't done well uh, at various times in church history. And so that's a wonderful emphasis but in many cases, the way that's developed in modern Christianity, it's come as you are, you'll be loved, and we're going to leave you there. And what we, you know, the second part of our slogan is empowerment to grow. We want to come alongside you with uh, pastoral care, with teaching, with uh, counsel to help you uh, become complete in Christ. If you think about, you know, this may sound like it's not that biblically healthy of a word, but I like the word healthy. And again, that became very important to me uh, after I had started three churches and, uh, and I had a fairly big failure in my life. Most of you know a lot about that. Uh, that was thir oh, 29 years ago now. And um, really... Um, Lots of the things we talk about in terms about coming out of a performance-based Christianity into a grace-based Christianity 
really came out of God's breaking me. And, uh, and what I've tried to stay, uh, tried to find a way, and it seems like God's helped us more and more gradually over these last 30 years, to find a way to stay zealous, to stay very high uh, expectations about biblical studies and theology and church history and all those kind of things. Um, seek the active and powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, you know, so, so much uh, modern Christianity ever since the Enlightenment Enlightenment has been some, uh, quite a bit natural-minded. Daniel was talking about faith today and, and faith for the supernatural and faith for the presence of God. And I'm actually going to talk about fasting today, but in the sense of we're, what we're first and foremost seeking the Lord for is intimacy with the Lord and, and to have him take away those things in our life, which we all have, that cause us uh, to to be diminished in how much we are passionate and in love with God. You know, there's lots of things that aren't sinful, even God's gift type of things, that will dull your spiritual senses so that you're not very uh, thirsty or for the Spirit, hungry for the Word, and, and desirous of more of God. Uh, I'm going to in, uh, do more than one teaching on fasting here. Um, and one of them is going to contain a little bibliography of about seven uh, recommended books on fasting. I don't think you should fast more than around, like I think when you first start fasting, you shouldn't do it more than about twice a month. And you shouldn't fast longer than 16 or 20 hours at a time. And you can build up to probably 30 hours and once a week uh, over some time. But you shouldn't do much more than that unless you actually read a lot about fasting. And, and that would include the medical, phys, physiological sides of fasting, what's going on in your body when you're fasting. Uh, fasting three days, seven days, 10 days, 15 days, 21 days, 40 days. People hear about fasting, they're going to jump right out and do that. I wouldn't do that till you know quite a bit about what, uh, fasting. Uh, if I fast uh, more than seven days, I actually work with my Christian doctor uh, who teaches at a medical college and has a family practice and has been, uh, I, I met him because uh, some of you know Wayne and Sandy McNamara. They were picketing together at an at a abortion clinic back in 1985, uh, 84, 85, and uh, Wayne and Sandy gave him a series, or it might have been 86, actually, now that I think of it. It was 86. They gave him a series of teachings I did called The Kingdom of God. And uh, I got a call on a Sunday night, and it was this doctor. And he said, I just listened to your Kingdom of God series. It's the most amazing Christian teaching I've ever heard. Tell me more about this. And we had actually been sent by a church from Bowling Green to start the church that's now Christ the King. Back in those days, it was date new covenant and uh, we didn't have any salary or or uh or any medical coverage and uh, and so uh at the end of the conversation he actually said I, i'll be your family doctor for free if you'll send me your teaching tapes every week and i said that's a deal <laughs> so uh and he's still my doctor to this day we're very close friends but my point would be uh, one of the things I, I see a lot of times, especially young, zealous Christians who do themselves more harm than good by fasting, uh, you should not, like, they're thinking, oh, I think God wants me to fast three times a week. And So when you fast, you um, deny some appetites, but you awaken your hunger for spiritual things in general not just for the Lord. And so um, if you're not at a place where you've uh, gone to a certain level of Christian maturity and sanctification and, uh, and become pretty deeply involved in, in accountable community, it's probably unwise to fast too much because you're actually bringing yourself into a, to a level of spiritual warfare that you're not ready for. 
So and I so I I don't tell the whole world what I'm gonna fast or anything, but I actually have a team of people who know because I'm 64 years old and uh, 63 actually for another month. Don't I shouldn't get ahead of myself. Until uh, <laughs> December I'll be 64. But um, you know and and I've uh, you know I've had a number of health issues that none of which are life threatening, but. Uh, you know, I can't just go fasting 40 days without some preparation and knowing what, you know. So there are, there are books to read, and, and anything that you're going to do like that should be developed gradually over time. And uh, so and the one thing I actually want to say that I hope is encouraging is I've set out to fast and failed and, and broke it and ate about 10 times for every time I've succeeded. So, you know, I, by the grace of God, I have done a couple 40-day fasts, several 21-day fasts, and lots of 7- to 15-day fasts. But for every time I set out to do that, I probably failed 10 times in comparison to having succeeded. But we really miss, uh, that's a thing in our culture that we do poorly at. We um, put way too much significance on failure. You know what? All that failure matters is did you learn something from it that might help you get a little further next time, right? That's that's all. And uh, so, um, and the truth is, if you don't risk and fail, um, you're actually robbing yourself and your brothers and sisters of many things that God wants to do because, you know, if you... Uh, you know, one of the best things my father ever did for me was, uh, many of you know that I had a pretty big moral collapse in 1991 and resigned the ministry and left Date New Covenant Church and turned it over to Wayne and Sandy and so forth, who were, you know, work together with all the time now. Uh, and our relationship has been wonderfully restored. But, um, and we, you know, we go back to my, my wife and Sandy met in 1971. And Wayne and I became friends in, in uh, early in 1975. And Wayne was on the leadership team of the first campus ministry I started in Bowling Green. And then he and his wife liked what they were hearing about the, the church that we had started in Dayton. So about two years after we came down here, and we only had about, oh, 35 or 40 members at that time, Wayne and Sandy came and joined us. And uh, you know he's been with that church and pastor of it for almost 30 years now. So, um, but, you know, although I, I grieve over how, when, when, when you fail, you, there's some hurt, there's people who get hurt, I'm not advocating failure. Uh, you know, in Romans, uh, Paul's actually accused of saying, let us do evil so that good may come about because of his teaching, as Daniel emphasized this morning, that God is sovereign. And, uh, and therefore, he actually redeems our mistakes. So the key issue in failure or, mis- or in sin or mistakes is where did it take you in the Lord and when you humbled yourself, when you, when you sought God, when you learned some things? And it's, it's uh, you know, a lot of the greatest saints uh, have great stories of difficulty. And I started to say this. So after my failures in 1991, uh, one of the best things my father ever did for me, uh, of course, there wasn't the digital computer age yet, so he made photocopies. But my dad found uh, a dozen or so articles written by guys who were very successful in various fields, sports, business, politics, and, and uh, Christian leadership. And they, the articles were about how their failures were, were a necessary stepping stone to all the fruit that God put in their life today. You know, the guy who owns Norelco Shavers, you know, those, uh, if, if anybody still shaves, but um, uh, <laughs> those electric shavers, um, the guy who invented Velcro came to him and tried to sell him the rights to Velcro, and without doing any research on the potentialities of Velcro, he... Um, Rejected the idea and didn't buy it. Uh, and now everything has Velcro. So, uh, you know, your 
book bags, your, you know, there's Velcro everywhere. So anyway, let's, let's get into things. Enough introductory. So we're doing 15 emphasis. They should be on the board behind me, are they? And uh, we've been on emphasis five. I'm jumping ahead to emphasis 11. The reason for the question mark, as you know, I usually will have like one ABC, two ABC. Um, so I think that when we get to fasting, uh, in terms of the uh, uh, prayer and fat, you know, emphasis 11, I think I put it in here somewhere. Uh, it's in the outline somewhere, I think. Um, where did I put it? Let's see. Oh, there it is. Uh, yeah, so it's it's under it's the second line under Roman numeral one. You know, Microsoft has this thing where it automatically formats for you, and I can't stand it. I don't know how to defeat it, but uh, so I've been fighting that for 20 years now. And, uh, you know, if I ever meet Bill Gates, I'm going to tell him I, lo I love you, but can you just let me format it how I want? Um, so anyway, so the, 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 in the word introduction jumped back over where they wanted it to be after I had fixed it, and I uh, didn't, didn't catch that. But anyway, um, so emphasis 11 is called Effective Prayer with Fasting, and then there were sub couple subpoints catalyst of visitation and embodied in local church daily lifestyle you know uh, there's an old saying when when it comes to prayer and fasting when all is said and done there's more said than done did you hear that so uh, the truth is there are many things in the Christian life that we talk about and teach about more than we do and what I want you to, to begin to see is this. There are lots of qualifications to fast in the Bible in terms of your attitude and your motivations and so forth. How, and there are lots of promises that go with them. And some of the promises, again, Daniel was emphasizing that this morning, uh, because fasting and faith, are we're basically saying the same thing. We're doing this before any other reason, we're doing it to seek the presence of God. We're doing it um, on, on the uh, little bibliography list. I'm going to include a book that I'm currently reading by a guy named John Piper. Most of you probably know who he is. He's fairly famous. And um, um, it, uh, his, his whole emphasis, you know, he calls it Christian hedonism, but his whole emphasis is on desiring God and being more passionate for God. And the whole emphasis of the book is that not only, not, it's not just sinful things, but it's actually the gifts of God which, which compete in our life for our, uh, for our love for God. And, you know, if there was anything that was a big part of my collapse in 1991, it was I had gradually... Uh, over without noticing over a number of years got to the point where I loved the ministry more than I loved the Lord himself. And all kinds of ministers struggle with that. Uh, probably the majority of ministers struggle with that e easily. And um, there's so many things that God gives us that he wants you to enjoy, like your spouse, uh, your children, you know, I, uh, I love seeing, we have so many young families in our church right now that have kids from just born to seven or eight and, and that kind of uh, age. Of course, Elijah's nine or 10 by now, right? Nine is nine, 10. So, uh, you know, almost all the children in our church are 10 and younger with one or two exceptions. And because uh, we have a lot of young families and, uh, that's by design because I'm always about, you know, the whole point of Abraham was Isaac. Okay, the, the number one thing you should look for in a church is how well are they passing it to the next generation? And, how, and are they producing the leaders of the next generation? So... Um, 
Fasting in the Bible is accompanied by many promises that I don't want you to miss out on. If you don't fast, it's a little bit like saying, I'm just going to leave $1,000 there. I'm not going to pick it up because, you know, it's, it's on the ground. I'd have to bend over, you know. There, fasting requires a little effort, and one of the most difficult things to always navigate is not to do it in a performance way, even though there's definitely a cause and effect connection. So, you know, one of the things you want to do is you want to study the core things of the gospel, and, you know, especially Romans, Galatians, things of that nature, to think about grace versus performance. We have a 17-part series called Grace Upon Grace, which is about how to come out of a moralizing, uh, performance-based Christianity into a relational love-God Christianity. And, you know, like when you read the Word each day, it's important to rethink the gospel first so that you realize you're not going to be more acceptable to God because you did your devotions today. You're not more acceptable to God if you give more money to the church. I might like you better. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just, uh, no, actually, I, uh, as you know, I actually don't know anything about the finances of the church except what I'm told at the meetings, the leader meetings. Um, and I don't have any idea who gives or doesn't give. But um, so, uh, you know, like fasting will not make you more uh, righteous before the Lord. And it won't bring his favor in a certain sense. Because you were granted that from all eternity when he foreknew, predestined, and chose you. John fifteen sixteen. you didn't choose me, I chose you. Every one of us who's, a, if, if you're a regenerated, life of God is living in your spirit, a Christian and not just a kind of a legalistic, uh, nominal Christian or whatever. You're there by the grace of God. No, Jesus said no one can come except the Father draw him. You did choose him because he gave you the grace to choose him. So I love, uh, you know, there's a modern Bible teacher that most of you know named Tim Keller, who I really like. Uh, and uh, Tim Keller lists in his uh, book called uh, uh, The Reason for God, he lists the three greatest theological influences in his life. Number one, his wife. I love that because if you know my wife, um, you know, she knows way more about biblical studies and theology and church history and all that kind of stuff than, you know, anybody else in our church or, for that matter, most pastors I know. But um, so, so I seek her advice all the time. Um, then he said, list uh, Jonathan Edwards, who was a great Reformed, Puritan, uh, sort of Calvinistic kind of preacher in the 18th century, and was one of the three biggest names associated with the Great Awakening. And the Great Awakening uh, that mostly happened mm, 1740s to 60s, uh, we wouldn't have had a war for independence if there wasn't a Great Awakening. That really kind of... Uh, changed a lot of things in history. And that was a, you know, moves of God and visitations of God end up changing things that that, that play out for, for generations. So um, his third theological influence that he lists is C.S. Lewis, who is Roman Catholic and very big on free will and our choice. <laughs> so Jonathan Edwards in... in uh, uh, C.S. Lewis would not agree about a lot of the things that Christians fight about. If you know there's, if there's any emphasis of Grace Christian Fellowship, it's let's hold to the essentials of the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the symbol of Chalcedon, and those kind of things. 
but let's quit fighting about modes of baptism when you bat, you know, like uh, the majority of our leadership in this church is infant baptizers, but we have people who aren't. And you, it's not a requirement for good standing in church membership or for even leadership to agree with us on, on either the, the timing of baptism or the moment of baptism. It's just important that you understand the covenant symbolism of it and why it's important. Uh, Lord's Supper, there's four major positions on uh, what happens when, when, you're, when you're praying over it and say it becomes the body and blood of Christ. Uh, the fourth position, the modern position, that it's only a symbol, and therefore and you can tell if churches believe that because they'll generally not have weekly communion. They'll generally have monthly or twice a year or once a year communion. Uh, but that's because if you see it only as a symbol that has no uh, active grace and presence of God in it, uh, then you won't see it as very important. But if you see it as in the light of covenant theology, that God's a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, and that um, all um, covenants have ceremonies of enactment, and they have ceremonies of renewal, and the Lord's Supper is the primary ceremony of renewing the covenant that we do on the Lord's Day. And all Christians for the first 1,800 years uh, practiced it weekly uh, at least. All right, let's get into these notes quickly. There's some scriptures here, Isaiah 58. Did, uh, we sang that song today, right? I actually had to go to the basement and start, stretch my uh, legs out so I could try to... Be up here because my back's really bad today. Um, so those are some very foundational verses to this series. And they're right in the context of the best chapter on fasting in the whole Bible, Isaiah 58. All right. Uh, Hosea 10, 12 talks about seeking the Lord. And there's times to seek the Lord. So the reason I jumped ahead to this is about... Um, I don't know, eight weeks ago, in our we have a leadership team of, of us, eight couples, and uh, uh, we meet every other, uh, uh, one single guy too, and uh, we meet every other uh, Monday or so, uh, and uh, it, it just started coming up over and over again when we were working with sit pe people in situations uh, that were having a big difficulty, uh, it, someone would say, let's all fast as a team for this person. And in some cases, there's been some marvelous results. So we, there's been a few couples we fasted for and a few single people we fasted for. And uh, fasting is a way to intensify prayer. All right, so... We think that we're in a season where God is saying to us, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. We tend not to be a very legalistic uh, way of doing Christianity. But the danger in that is you don't want to turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, as Paul said. And so I think God has called us to a season as a church of humbling ourselves and seeking the Lord, and asking him to break out of us, pull out of us, what deliver us from whatever kinds of things might be hindering the flow of the Spirit in our lives, individually and therefore corporately, as Daniel talked about 930. I couldn't believe that his message was, uh, it's like he stole my notes. No, uh, I stole his notes, actually. He went first. Um, so, um, you know, fasting with prayer is a catalyst, and a catalyst is a substance that creates a, uh, a change in, in uh, some kind of, you know, like a chemical process. So, like, we can go to church every week, but something that's being said a lot right now, you're hearing this by a lot of good Christian leaders, is we've what, what kind of grew out of um, 
the church growth movement of the 70s was the mega churches. And a lot of the whole idea of American Christianity is, frankly, it's we got it so slick and such nice buildings and and you know much better preachers than me and such great musicians that the show is top quality and and but what a lot of people are pointing out we've gotten to the place where we can do this with or without God's presence and so many people are just, are not noticing when the presence of God is diminishing or dying part of the reason I came to Dayton was because my wife and I were a little bit grieved over the fact that the radical church we were part of in the early 70s uh, was actually kind of gradually growing less radical, and there was less presence of God in the worship and less anointing, and nobody was noticing that. And I think we're kind of in a similar place here at Grace Christian Fellowship. We had a amazing visitation of God oh, two or three years ago and it's kind of slowed down a little and I think we all need to examine ourselves again everything's lawful but what is really causing us to grow in the power of, of his spirit you know Acts 1 8 you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you that Greek word is dunamis that we get the English words dynamic and dynamite from and dynamo, and you, you, when you, if the if the Holy Spirit is in our midst, by definition, there must be supernatural activities. And I'm glad for testimonies like uh, Leah Gray was totally delivered from asthma. She was using five asthma medications a day, and she's never needed another one since that particular prayer meeting that we called for that purpose. Now it's been five years ago now, but. Um, but I want to. I want those testimonies to, to to be common everyday testimonies. So, um, so let's. So there's four key passages on fasting that I that I've put in this teaching. I've not managed my time well again, and uh, so I'm uh, not going to get into all of them. Jesus and Isaiah 58 both uh, focus on, on two things. One is there's some qualifications in terms of your motivation and attitude. You know, Jesus is saying, beware of practicing your righteousness to be noticed by men. And then there's some promises that if you do that, here's the reward. And he actually says, if you seek God in secret... God will reward you openly. But there's a real place for having a, uh, a study, uh, you know, uh, it could be your car. I remember uh, when my kids were little, I used to drop them off at school at about 7 a.m. And then I would go uh, park my car and I bought a little plastic thing that was designed to go on, on a treadmill uh, for holding your books while you're reading, the, uh, where you're on a treadmill or whatever, and I put it on my steering wheel, not when I was driving, uh, when I was parked. <laughs> I, I don't have that much faith or craziness. But, um, and then I would read the word for about three hours and then go into the Y and do my workout. And uh, every day. And it was one of the best seasons of my life. Uh, you know, and, and in fact, it became hard to, to, you know, I would get there at 7.30 and I was supposed to quit reading and go into the wide exercise at 10. And it would be, became harder and harder to quit reading at 10. <laughs> and one of the nice things about owning your, like, you know, my wife and I owned our own business. So, uh, you know, if I didn't get to work to one, two or three, I'm, who's, who's going to yell at me, me? But uh, as long as we made the sales and made the money, it doesn't really matter. Uh, so that's... Uh, you know, there's times for seeking the Lord. Uh, Jesus doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. So that makes it uh, very certain that every Christian is called to fast. I do believe that there are some people with medical conditions who can fast very little and would have to do something like a, a Jews fast or a 
you know, what they call a Daniel fast or something where you maybe give up meat and white bread or carbohydrates for a while, something. But, um, mo but normally fasting is abstaining from food. Now, in Piper's book, he talks about you can fast from TV and you can fast from candy. And, and I, I would say that's kind of true, but biblical definition of fasting is abstaining from food. But I would encourage you to also look at when you're fasting, are, you shouldn't fast without spending extra time uh, in God's word, reading and seeking him, uh, worshiping, praying, reading the word, so forth. And so if you're going to fast, uh, make sure that you look at the other aspects of your life. Can I, could I cut out TV for a while? Could I cut out video games or, or other useless things in terms of time that aren't necessarily, it's not necessarily sinful to watch TV, but it's not necessarily the most productive thing to do. So, you know, Jesus' proper motivation is honoring God versus fearing man. Um, Psalm 35, 13 tells us that uh, I humbled my soul with fasting. And the, Greek, the Hebrew word for, for, uh, for humbled is ana. I don't know how, it's, I don't know how to pronounce Hebrew words. But it means to afflict, to oppress, humble, bring low, beat down. So in some English translations, it won't say humble. It'll say afflicted my soul with fasting. And there are other verses in the Old Testament that use that same word and translate it afflict. Uh, you know, when I, before I was, in Psalm 119, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your law. So it actually, fasting is an intentionally violent thing. Um, I don't know if I have it. Yeah, I have it here under humbled. So 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26 is when Paul talks about how he doesn't box with hitting the air. And um, uh, the Geneva Bible uh, talks about, like, I, I don't box without hitting something. Most, you know, most uh, translations have the negative, like, I don't box and hit the air. I hit, but the Geneva emphasizes you got to hit something. The, Jesus said in uh, Matthew, it's listed there somewhere, uh, Matthew eleven twelve. I'm I'm under point B on the first page of Roman numeral two. Um, Jesus said that um, violent men enter the kingdom of God by force. Uh, another book I'm reading right now is John Owen, the famous uh, Puritan's book on mortifying the flesh. You know, you got to kill it. And if you're going to accomplish anything in life at all, you have to have clear God-given goals. I would encourage you to re review your goals with uh, one or more wise Christians. Uh, don't set goals that are too high that will set you up for failure. But don't set goals that are too low that don't capture your imagination. You know, like, you don't set goals like, I'm going to have less cherries on top of my hot fudge sundaes. You know, <laughs> you know and that, therefore I'm going to lose weight. You know, you have to set goals that are challenging, and challenging enough that, um, you know, I used to play a lot of sports, and I loved basketball, and so much so that I always wondered if I was, you know, I used to play full-court basketball like five times a week, uh, even when I was a pastor. So, um you know, uh, when, when you set goals, uh, like when, when I played basketball, if, I, if our team was playing a team that was better than us and they were supposed to win, but I thought, by the grace of God, if we play our very best game and keep our intensity super high, we might be able to stay close or pull this off. I always played better when I had that kind of attitude thing going on um, and so um, you, you want to set goals that you would that you can't hit by like Daniel was actually talking about this point you know he's, I always say the Christian life is not difficult it's impossible you want to set goals 
that you can only do by the power of God and by the grace of God. If you can attain this goal in, without God's help, so to speak, it's not a high enough goal. In fact, you, you want to make sure that God has helped you set the goals, that they're God's goals, and that, you've, uh, that you're seeking for his means of grace through his word, through his spirit, through his church to attain the goals. But if, they, if it can be done by a natural-minded effort, it's not, it's not what God's thinking of. All right, now, uh, Isaiah 58, where I'm probably going to redo this, uh, do this teaching again next week, and we'll probably pick it up there. But I want to, uh, what do you do when they go to commercial? What do they call that? A tease. So Isaiah 58 is, uh, is uh, he starts off by ta- talking about, is this the fa- fast that I choose? And he's, uh, he's talking about a daily fast. So a lot of people think to see, you know, of course, Jesus fasted 40 days, uh, Moses, Elijah, Elijah fasted 40 days, had one meal, then fasted again 40 days. Uh, and, uh, but this is about a one-day fast. This is actually the day of a atonement fast called by Jewish people Yom Kippur. And so these are promises from God if you fasted one day. And for most Christians, I would encourage you to start with fasting one day twice a month. And maybe if, if you have grace and it's working well and so forth, maybe consider increasing it to one day a week. Or many church movements, including the early church, John Wesley's movement, John Wesley would not ordain a person to lead one of his small groups unless they fasted till dinner time every Wednesday and Friday. In the first several centuries, there's much literature that, that indicates that the, that the Christian church fasted uh, on Wednesdays and Fridays. And if, you're, if you know anything about the Roman Catholic tradition, there's a vestige of that still in that uh, Roman Catholics don't eat meat on Friday, and, uh, uh, although they eat fish. So, but uh, but, they, but they, that grew out of practices from the ancient first few centuries and has kind of been a residual thing that's been kept. Uh, so, in point C, number one, there are seven uh, attitudes. Now, remember to read the reverse negative. So, if it says you drive hard all your workers, then what he's saying is be gracious and... Uh, I gave Stephen two days off this week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He wasn't feeling well. But, oh. So um, then it's followed by 10 promises. And so we'll look into those promises next week and those conditions. Uh, you can't just fast. You have to fast by the grace of God with God helping your motivations and your attitudes and so forth. All right, now flip over. Point D is the book of Joel. Yeah, I sure hope that people take these outlines home and use them. At the top of the first page, in small print, after the title, it says request outlines by emailing Stephen Leopold, who just walked out the door. Um, to probably do something because he's in charge of the children's area. Um, anyway... Um, the book of Joel is three chapters, but it's about, as Daniel was talking about, corporate anointing. We are, what we're desperate for right now, we need, um, you know, frankly, we have, um, oh, 10 or 15 people, uh, maybe not that many, that, you know, we're, we're always graduating a few great, we grow a few people a year, and God brings us people who don't really know the Lord yet. A lot of times they've been evangelical Christians for a long time, but they know about God more than they know God. You know, biblical knowledge is, there's, you know, a series of words. I have a teaching called um, something about knowledge, and but it, it covers 30 different New Testament words that have to do with knowledge. And they break down into two categories. 
intellectual, scripture, theological knowledge and knowing about God, which you must have foundationally. But all the rest of the words are about experiencing those truths through the presence of Jesus Christ, who comes to us by the Holy Spirit. God the Father and God the Son do everything they do uh, in the earth through the Holy Spirit. And that's why there's always been a lot of conflict and war about anything that wants to stir up more of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the active agent of God in the church, and the church is the active agent of God in the earth. God is so amazing that he doesn't do what he does directly. Uh, He can, and he has on occasion, like he appeared to uh, Paul right when he was, you know, riding to Damascus, and he he knocked him off his donkey and onto his donkey, and and, uh, revealed himself to Paul and and, uh, so forth. But for the most part, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. God actually limits himself to working through his people. And that's actually more glorious to God because if you know how sinful I am, if, God, if anything I did actually was... Uh, somebody you know came to know God better or grew in the Lord and uh, instead of got messed up or confused uh, that would be a total miracle and God does that all the time and every day and so uh, we we don't need uh, 12 people in Grace Christian Fellowship to to uh, stir up the presence of God, we need everybody. And, uh, you know, again, uh, we'll talk about how to do that in a grace-based way uh, in in the weeks to come. And I kind of got off track with doing too much introduction again. But uh, Christiana's going to yell at me this week. She's, (laughs) no, she she never yells at me. She's just my, she's my coach for this stuff. Um, and the last thing we, that we have listed, oh, then the eight famous Bible fast, I'm probably not even going to cover those next week. Um, cover those yourself. I, I hope that people actually do the assignments. I have no way of knowing if you did or didn't, but, um, if you want to look into that f- further, there's a book that we have in our book ministry, you know, downstairs, we have a library room and you can sign out books or you can buy them. Uh, but one of the books is by a, a Bible teacher that's not long since dead. He'd be uh, well over 100 if he was alive still. But as we always say, the best books are always written by old dead guys. Uh, and so um, it's called Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting by Derek Prince. And it covers these eight passages in quite a bit of detail. But you can cover them yourself. Just read the passages and see the amazing things God does through fasting. And so you're really kind of, like, you're robbing yourself uh, to incredible ways if you never fast. If fasting isn't a part of your Christian discipline, it's about equivalent to, you know, uh, having a... uh, nine millimeter gun with a 12 shot clip and emptying them all into your feet. You know, you're, you're literally shooting yourself in the foot. If you're a Christian who doesn't fast, uh, on a fairly regular basis. And you look at any active, amazing move of God that accomplished a lot from the Quakers and, and their fight against slavery to what, whatever, uh, it was always a movement that was involved in corporate prayer and fasting together. So that's all I'm going to cover for today. Uh, and, you know, we're going to look at the whole idea of escalating to victory. You know, it's amazing to me. I was talking to a young man who's been kind of stuck in a place uh, that it, 
be like not able to get started with the Lord and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, uh, this, you know, people will tell you, oh, well, I've been trying to get started as a Christian or, or whatever for two or three years, and I've had this ongoing besetting sin or whatever. And I always say, like, well, how much time do you spend on things like video games? And if that's more than you're actually seeking God, that's a tragedy. I doubt you're going to grow that much closer to Christ through video games. Just, I'm, you know, not, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but that's just, uh, I, I have this gift called, uh, it's, it's similar to the gift of discernment. It's called a keen sense for the obvious. Uh, and uh, and uh, it's pretty obvious that if you're going to sit around spending hours watching television and playing video games, uh, you're probably not going to be able to escalate to victory. And, you know, uh, we're, we're going to look at what escalating to victory looks like, and I'll do, I will do better, I promise, next Sunday on getting through this material. But I want to get us started thinking that we, th this is the trap we're all facing, and whoever's doing the communion, come on up and get ready. Um, the trap we're facing is, there's this tendency in our culture to think we know a lot more and we're a lot further and we're a lot more well off in the things of the Lord than we are. And we don't see, as the scripture says, how blind, wretched, miserable, and naked. Remember the Laodicean church? Uh, you know, we need God to make us desperate for God. And if we're not desperate for God, in, in, in a way that is willing to really do some things to seek him, then we're, we're actually deceived. We're, we're actually thinking in a, in a false reality. Uh, there's not a person in this room that's as far along with the Lord as what the Lord wants to give you. He loves you so much more than you could ever know and he wants to reveal to you so much more than you could ever know. And, um, and, and the amazing things he wants to do for you, as Daniel said at 930, uh, is exceedingly abundantly of more than we can ask or think. Amen.